0: His job, that guardian, that schoolmaster, has done its job. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So we're Jeremiah looked ahead to that time when God would make a new covenant. We're no when faith came, we're no longer under that first covenant, that old law. But as Paul describes in First Corinthians 9, verse 21. We're under law to Christ. And since we're under law to Christ, what we sh- I believe we need to look to the New Testament, look to the New Testament for the authority for what we do, like Colossians 3 verse 17 tells us, whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. So we need authority for what we do, but we're under law to Christ, and so we look to the pages of the New Testament. Let me just go over some review questions, but before we look at that, I do appreciate David's comment on, I just wanted to bring this up again, uh, the the woods of Ephraim. I appreciated his comment. And, uh, you know, in that passage that describes the battle with Absalom in the woods and how that the woods devoured more than the sword. Uh, and the reason I mention it again is because sometimes I feel uh, feel remiss and uh not simply emphasizing what the text says when I when I do something like that. But here it contrasts the wood with the sword, and maybe there was something inherent in the woods that caused their deaths, wild beasts, the terrain. Perhaps God even had a hand in the matter. And that's in second Samuel chapter eighteen, verses six through eight. You know, God in the time past has used nature. He used the hornet to drive out the Amorites. He used the plagues in Egypt. But just wanted to mention that briefly. But some review questions. And anytime anyone has a comment, just shout it out. In 2 Samuel chapter 20, what man raised a rebellion against David? Sheba. All right. Sheba, son of Bikri. What was Sheba's, and uh, this is tongue-in-cheek, but uh, what was Sheba's first major military operation as prospective commander-in-chief of Israel? To run <laughs> and so he, he ran and uh, uh, where did he go to Abel uh, Abel of Beth and by the way David on the pronunciation of Old Testament names it's my understanding that uh, I've been told that what we we don't know how they're pronounced but what we need to do is just sit, uh, pick a pronunciation and say it confidently Um, in 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 16, Joab besieged the city of Abel. Who of the city of Abel approached Joab to resolve this conflict? So you have Joab and his men besieging the city of Abel. Who was it that approached Joab and resolved it, helped resolve it? Shout it out so I can hear it. (laughs) Okay, the wise woman. All right, and she, you know, would you just, would you, you know, wipe, wipe us out of Israel? Oh, no, Joab won't do that. So she, she conferred with him, and they ended up throwing Sheba's head over the wall. You know, and David mentioned this. There may be a question of time frame in the chronology of the last few chapters of 2 Samuel, perhaps chapter 21 about the famine in the land. Might have occurred earlier in David's life rather than after the rebellion of Sheba, even though it's uh, the chapter wise it's uh, in that sequence. But maybe it re- could have re- uh, happened earlier in, in David's life. But what was the consequence of Saul's sin against the Gibeonites? What was it that was going on in the land? What was the consequence of his sin? Famine in the land, okay. Did the famine end? right when you look at chapter in and uh, uh, David uh, was running out of time but I just wanted to hone in on that uh, he, he wasn't able to, to cover the last as I recall the last few passages but in uh, second uh, and I'm in Kings hold on here second Samuel 24 in verse one of course it says it speaks about the uh, the, the uh, um, and I got the wrong chapter 21 Uh Chapter 21, there was a famine in the days of David, three years. But in verse 14, and the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin and in, in, in Zeba, in the sepulchre of Kish his father, and they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. I think the implication is that the famine ended. It was a three-year famine. It ended after he made the sacrifice. And, and there's reasons I, I wanted to hone in on that and, and mention that. I won't go into the, the details of why I say that, but just, it looks to me from the text, the famine ended. Okay, in our, in our study this evening, First Chronicles chapter 21, <clears throat> Satan, an adversary, provoked David David to number the people. David had Joab and the rulers go from one end of Israel to the other and number the people. Joab protested to David that it would bring guilt upon Israel. While Joab returned the numbers to David, David realized his sin. He confessed it to God and asked God to forgive him for acting foolishly. So let's read in 1 Chronicles 21. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, even to Dan and bring the number of them to me, that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. You know, God's, if God's with us, you know, he's going to deal with it. He's, we, why number the people? He's going to help us. But my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab, Wherefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David. And they, all they of Israel were a thousand, thousand and a hundred thousand men, eleven hundred men that drew, uh, eleven hundred thousand men that drew sword. And Judah was four hundred, three score, four hundred seventy thousand men that drew sword. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was an abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away with the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And so David numbered the people. Just some observations on on this text. Because of the interaction with the prophet Gad and David coming up in the next section, because of that interaction, you know, Gad the, the prophet comes to David, and you know, gives him a choice of punishment. Because of that interaction, I take it that verse seven is there, maybe as a summary verse, as a heading about before he gives the details that follow, and not really saying that God smote Israel before even David even confessed his sin. I'm open to your comment. I take it it's a heading, a summary in regard, pointing ahead about uh, here, and the details are coming. Here's how God is. God was displeased, and here's what He did to Israel. Second Samuel chapter 24 notes that it took. In Second Samuel 24 verses 8 and 9, it mentions that it took nine months and 20 days for Joab and his men to do the work. So they they went through the the land. It uh, took them nine months to count the men. Notice the wording in Second Samuel 24. There are some things that I'll, I'll probably for the sake of time and. And uh, need a further study. I'll I'll observe the Passover on. But I do want to mention something here. In in 2 Samuel 24 verse 1. It says and again. Because I have some applications. I think it's very important. uh, Some things that this verse covers. And again the anger of the Lord. Was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say. Go number Israel and Judah. The anger of the Lord. Was kindled against Israel. And he moved David. So. The wording there, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Perhaps Israel did something we're not told that displeased God. And that event, the undisclosed event of Israel displeasing God in some way, perhaps uh, that event uh, precipitated the numbering of the people, uh, perhaps. Uh, but again, I'm open to your your explanation, help in explaining that, that portion of the verse. But on the wording, he moved David. Okay, I take the antecedent of that is God. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he moved David against them to say, so God moved David. You know, one thing to, to note in First Chronicles 21, it shows us that Satan tempted David, right? So in what sense here could it be said that David or that God moved David to number the people? I've got something that I, I want to bring out and say about that. But any comments on that? How could it be said that God moved David? That's the way I'd say it, Norm. That he and I'll explain more about that. But he allowed he God moved David in the sense that he allowed Satan to tempt him. Here's some things to consider. Let me make sure I don't see if I have a. Uh, yeah. See, and I should have been skipping ahead here on the charts. It may mean that God God moved David in the sense that He allowed Satan to tempt David to number the people, which is you know what we see in First Chronicles twenty-one verse one. Here's some reasons why I say that. Think back to the wording of Job two verse three, when God said to Satan, "You moved me against him to destroy him without cause." God said to Satan, Satan, you moved me against David to destroy him. What did God, did God act directly on Job? Is that that the way it was? No, we look in Job chapter 1, verse 12. God said to Satan, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So when when Job tells us that Satan, you moved me against David to destroy, to uh, destroy him. I destroyed him. Well, how did he do that? He allowed Satan to do it. And so God was in control. He, he gave Satan the limits, but he simply allowed it. You know, it may be said that God causes something to happen when he allows it to happen or uses indirect means to influence something to happen. And I think about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Just another example. And again, I'm just bringing this out to help understand 2 Samuel 24 and verse 1 that the Lord, if that's the Lord, or if it's we understand 1 Chronicles mentions Satan did it, but if, if here it's the Lord, well, the meaning, I take it, would be that he allowed Satan to do that. He allowed Satan to tempt David to uh, to number of people. But here's just another illustration of that. So, uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, we might say, but he did it by means. Let's look at a few passages in that. Just, um, in, I've got a string of verses on the screen in, Ex, in the book of Exodus where it says in those verses that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. <laughs> the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Here's a string of verses, and I want to just reference these, where it s- speaks of Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And here's a string of verses that describes how that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God did it, but how did he do it? Let's look at the middle here. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In Exodus 8, verse 15, and also 31 and 32, when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, so God sent a plague on Egypt. Maybe you could say that he lifted that plague at just the right time. And when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them and the lord did according to his word the word of moses and he removed the swarm of flies maybe he might have done it just at the right time he removed it and pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also and he wouldn't let the people go chapter 9 verse 34 and pharaoh when, when pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased he sinned yet more and hardened his heart so he could he could tell that things god relaxed and then ah, I can just go back to my old ways. So he hardened his heart. So I take it that that's the way we, we would understand that type of language. Because, you know, under, I think we want to remember that we have free choice. How did Joshua say it in Joshua chapter 24 to, to Israel? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose. We have the right to choose. God doesn't force us to do anything. God doesn't make us do anything. God does not, and here's another passage we could look at um, in application. This one, and I'll go back to the other one. God does not tempt man, but allows Satan to tempt us. And I I believe that's what we could say is going on with David. God allowed David, God allowed Satan to tempt David to number the people. James chapter 1 describes how that we sin when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. We give in. Satan tempts us, not God and we sin when we find just a note in, in passing here when we find two seeming conflicting scriptures maybe maybe chapter 24 verse 1, 1 chronicles 21 1 one thing we want to do first thing i think we want to do is attempt to reconcile those passages the Bible's not false so we need to, we, seeming inconsistencies, we need to try to reconcile the two passages, identify how the two passages can both be true. Well, it could be, it could be said that God does something, but he does it by means, or he allows it to happen, not that he does it directly. And so both passages are true. And, okay, on, on the numbering of Joab, just another application, on the numbering, the numbering of the people by Joab, the point I'm about to make is not necessarily against Joab. So here in that text that we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we saw how that King David commanded his men, Joab and the men, to number Israel. They went and did it. The, the commandment by the king was abominable to Joab. He was, he, Joab tried to attempted to reason with the king and say, you want to do this. You're going to cause Israel to sin. So the point I'm about to make is not necessarily against Joab. The text does not specifically speak about Joab, so I'm not going to say. But I do want to segue on the idea that we see in that text that I want to make this point, that we can't hide behind, you know, someone says, well, you know, Joab, he he was clear. It was just David that sinned. He was okay because, you know, someone told him to do something. We're responsible for our actions. We cannot shift responsibility for our own actions away from ourselves onto a higher level entity like our parents' our spouse, the, elder, the elders, the government. When the Lord tells us to do something, then man tells us to do something else. We've got to obey God. We can't say that, well, you know, that someone made me do it, someone told me to do it, but yet it was a sin. And again, I'm not saying anything about Joab, but I'm just segueing on that concept that we need to understand. And here's some passages. Acts 5, 29, we ought to obey God rather than man. They were told not to preach. They had to do it. Matthew chapter 15, verse 14. Blind guys, both shall fall into the ditch. Ah, you know he taught me, he 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 made me do it or whatever. He influenced me. Both shall fall into the ditch. The blind leader, the blind follower. First Kings thirteen eighteen. The young prophet was lied to. Ah, that old prophet, the old wise prophet. He lied. He he, t- he told me that this was okay. He lied to him, and he died for his disobedience. Daniel three, bow down to the image. Daniel and his three f- friends said, we can't do that. We so. Just several examples to show and illustrate, basically, that we ought to obey God rather than men. Another application on David's sin of numbering the people, and then I'll uh, open it up for any comments on these applications or or anything that that text so far before we go ahead. But on David's sin of numbering the people, there were consequences to Israel for David's sin. He sinned, but it caused other people grief. There may be a number of passages we could think about, but I, I think of Revelation 2. The woman Jezebel who taught and seduced others to sin. So she caused others to sin. Any any comments that you all have? Okay. Okay, so God had something against Israel. Uh, they, they had sinned in some way. And you may have described uh, the, the possibilities there. And then so because of that, he... But But I might equate those two those might in my mind might would i would say are effectively parallel uh the the spirit led jesus allowing him to be tempted by satan god moved david allowing you know, via satan so both were i might say were examples of god allowing things to happen uh but I, maybe uh we could talk more about that uh uh let's see in the next section, in First Chronicles chapter twenty-one, verse nine. Yes. Okay. Adversary. Right. So there may might be multiple ways in which that could have led to David being tempted. Gotcha. Thank you. Okay. Good point. That the uh, uh, in First Chronicles twenty-one that the uh, David's. Mentioning could just simply be an adversary and not necessarily Satan himself. In verse 9, <clears throat> The Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I will offer thee three things, choose one of them, that I may uh, do it unto thee. <clears throat> so Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, choose thee, either three years famine or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself, what word I shall bring again to him that sent me? And David said unto Gad, I'm in a great strait. I don't, I don't know what to do. Uh, which of these choices to take? But here I, I take it, here's his answer. Here's his choice. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord. For very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of men. So the the prophet came to David. David, because you number the people, uh, uh, you know, David was uh, penitent. He he confessed that sin to God, but there are consequences. And so God said, here's three options. David pick. And uh, let me see. and so david says i would like to fall into the hands of the lord well in verses 14 through 17 the lord sent pestilence that third option 70000 men of israel fell says so god's angel was destroying jerusalem god said to the angel it's enough stay your hand david saw the angel and he petitioned god to spare the people <clears throat> in verse 14 so the lord sent pestilence upon israel and there fell upon fell of israel 70000 men and god sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld and repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough. Stay thou thy hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and heaven, and the heaven, having a sword drawn in his hand, a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth's, Fell upon their faces. And David said unto God. Is it not I that commanded thee. The the people to be numbered. Lord I did it. I commanded it. Even is it not I that have sinned. And have done evil indeed. But as for these sheep. What have they done. Let thy hand I pray thee. uh, O Lord my God be on me. And on my father's house. But not on thy people. That they should be plagued. So David is interceding for the people. But the, so God sent a plague, 70,000 men of Israel fell. One commentator, Albert Barnes, made this comment. He said, it's the most destructive plague recorded as having fall upon, fallen upon the Israelites. In the plague, that, he gave a couple of other examples. He said, in the plague that followed the rebellion of Korah, there died uh, almost 15,000 men. In the plague on the account of Baal, Baal Peor, uh, about 24,000 died. Uh, as in Numbers 25, verse 9, says so 70,000 men of Israel fell. Well, David asked Ornan to grant him the threshing floor. Uh, so he he was David was going to make an offering. He 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 sees uh, this area owned by Ornan or or Aruna, and he says he wants to buy it. And what was that famous phrase that David used in regard to that? You know, uh, Aruna was saying, no, "I just take it." you know i'll give you the cattle too what's that famous phrase that david said right right i'm i'm not going to offer something to god that did not cost me anything in in uh let's see first chronicles 21 verse 18 then the angel of the lord commanded gad to go to david and say that uh, say to david that david should go up set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David went up by the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him, his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. So God, the prophet tells David what he should do. And Ornan looks up and he sees the angel is destru- destroying. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David and with, his fa- uh, with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, give it to me, that I may uh, build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee. And let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the, the meat offering I give thee. I'll, I'll give you everything you need, David. Just, just say it, and I'll give it to you. King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it of thee a full price, for I will not take that which is thine for the lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. So David gave to Ornan for the... Place six hundred shekels of gold by weight, and David built there an altar unto the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called upon the Lord, and He answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar, a burnt offering that reminds you of another, another time of offering when the Lord answered by fire. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again unto the sheath thereof. At that time David saw the Lord. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Then he sacrificed there. So it looks like David continues to sacrifice in the same place because, hey, the Lord's there and he answers me there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness and the altar of the burnt offering were at that season in the high place at Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Okay, any any comments or questions or anything up to this point before we look at the psalm of of david's praise for deliverance from all of his enemies as part of this lesson also and and we'll we'll turn back to 2nd samuel 22 and the parallel basically psalm 18 and 2nd samuel 22 they're they're the same but we'll look at uh 2nd samuel chapter 22 but before we do that any comments or questions Okay, in our going back to Second uh, Samuel twenty-two, and this is a beautiful psalm, a beautiful statement of praise and request to God. And I've I've kind of outlined here uh, five points in this psalm, Psalm eighteen or Second Samuel twenty-two. Let me just run over these points, and then what we'll do is we'll go one by one. I, I really wish that we had time to read the passage, but we won't have time to do that. I'll pick out some select verses, some highlights in the, each of these sections, try to, and make some applications. David's song was prompted by his understanding that God had delivered him from all his enemies. We see that in verse 1. David could call upon God, and God would deliver him. You know, so he, he, this whole, the basis of this whole psalm is that God, or David knew, God delivered me. I was in trouble. I cried to God. God delivered me. Heaven and earth were under God's control and would bend at his will in the next section. God helped David because he delighted in him and did God's will. This is, I think, very important. David makes the statement, and I've got the passages here referenced, and we'll try to read them. David makes the statement. I want to make application about that. David makes the statement that the reason why God delivered him was that God delighted in him. He was doing God's will. Well, David... What about Bathsheba? David, what about Uriah? David, what about numbering the people? I've done God's will. And God delighted in me. We want to look at that. How could could David say that? We can say that. God gave David the strength to accomplish what he did. It's all God. (laughs) It's God that works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. God helps us. You know, God strengthens us. God shows us the way through his word. But God gives us the strength through others. David could call upon God and God would deliver him. In, let's see. In 2 Samuel 22, in verse 1, David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. Verse 4, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And then verse 50, therefore, because of you know, what God has done for me. Therefore, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. I'll praise you. Lord, you've delivered me. I'll praise you. So, God, David could call upon God, and God would deliver him. Some applications. Let's remember God's instructions on prayer in First Timothy chapter 2, and how that. Let me see, did I skip something here? Oh, yeah, let's not forget to give God thanks for his blessings. And a couple of other. Uh, Things to reference. Remember the 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 lepers that were healed. You know what did the Lord say? You know where are the the nine? You know only one turned back to give God praise and thanks. You know let's let's not forget to us also. Just like David, you know we think of the benefit of the Old Testament. We see a good example here of someone praising God, crying to God, and praising God for his uh, his blessings. And so we should do the same. Let's remember God's instructions on prayer, First Timothy 2, and how that one of the things that God wants us to do is to give thanks for all men. You know, we need to be a thankful people. Give thanks for all men, including rulers. Our thanks to God for rulers is, it looks like to me in that text, First Timothy 2, 1 through 4, perhaps is the basis on which God gives us a quiet and peaceable life. You want a quiet and peaceable life? You know, thank God for rulers. Thank God for a people. Are there perhaps Abraham's ten righteous in the U.S. who sustain the country by their lives, by their righteous lives and their obedience of prayer? Look at that passage in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I will therefore that given a prayer, uh, and I can't quote it, uh, but uh, um, you know all of these different types of prayer, one of which is giving of thanks. Let's give thanks for all men. Let's give thanks for rulers that the Lord may give us a quiet and peaceable life. David could call upon God. God would deliver him. God allowed David to suffer. God allows us to suffer. But that does not mean that he does not care or that he does not exist. David, so amazing. All that he went through and anything that I might say that I've gone through pales in comparison, does it not? But all that David went through, he still cried and leaned upon God. No, no, the fact that I'm, I go through things doesn't mean God doesn't exist or that he doesn't care No, David shows that he did. God helped David because he delighted in him and did God's will. In, uh, let's see, in verses 17, and we're running out of time, but uh, look at chapter 22 and verses 20 through 24. 20 through 24. This is so powerful, I believe. He brought me forth into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me you remember what david said when they they were leaving the city of jerusalem uh, and the ark of the covenant was coming and david said no no take that back if what if the lord delights in me i'll go back if the lord so he said the lord rewarded me according to my righteousness he delights in me he rewarded me so i'm doing what is right how in, in, in summary, how could how can David say these things? Well, David, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about number? What about all those things? How can David say that? The blessedness of forgiveness is it not? Romans chapter four. The, the even David speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He quotes Psalm thirty-two. So David could say all of these things because he had been forgiven. So you're forgiven. You're living righteously. You're, God is, ple, you're pleading to God. Someone points to what you've done. Wasn't I forgiven of that? Didn't I turn from that? Uh, Ezekiel chapter 18. If the wicked man turns from his sins, he'll live and not die spiritually. He's okay. He's safe because he's been forgiven. He'll live spiritually and not die spiritually. God gave David the strength to accomplish all that he did. And let's see if I've got a passage on that uh, before we Verse uh, 30. Verse 30. For by thee I have run through a troop. By thee, by my God have I leaped over a wall. So God gave David strength to do what he did. In this account, God avenged David of all his enemies. He said in verse 48, it is God that avengeth me. In this Old Testament account, but also God authorized David to avenge himself. Look at, I've got a string of verses in all of those verses. David shows how that he did these things. God avenges him, but he, God gave him the right to do it. David, you do it. You know, you've, uh, how does it say? You've taught my hands to war. Verse 41, you've given me the necks of my enemies. So, that I might destroy them that hate me. So, Lord, avenge me. But then God gave him the right to do it. Here's, here's the point. In contrast, under the New Testament, God commands Christians not to take vengeance. Romans 12. Romans 12, dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. So, God avenged David, but gave David the authority to destroy his enemies. God avenges us. He'll get it done. He'll do it, but he tells us not to. Okay, any... And I, I see, I would have had another moment maybe to read a little bit more, but uh, any, I'll, I'll leave it open to you. Any comments, questions on the class? It was just a beautiful psalm, Psalm 18. Showing God's power. Showing His reliance on God. Deliverance by God. And showing that if, we, if just as David, if God can delight in Him, and Him be forgiven, He can delight in us when we're forgiven the power of forgiveness thank you all for your comments and uh, oh next lesson lesson seven second samuel 21 and 23 and first chronicles 22 through 29 (laughs) Uh, looks like a lot of text there david